Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening. My name is Kisha Edwards-Gansey, and I'm the co-founder of World Explorers Group. And I'm so excited that you're joining us for tonight's Tough Talk Tuesday. Tonight, we are going to talk about talking to your children about anxiety and depression. And I'm so excited to dig into this topic with our special guests that are joining us here today. We have Dr. Corey Emanuel. He's coming back again. He's going to be with us all year. Uh, Dr. Corey Emanuel is going to lean into this topic for us and, um, and take us on a, on a journey through anxiety and depression and how it pertains to our family relationships. And also joining us is Ms. Stephanie Scott. And uh, she is a marriage and family therapist. And, and she will... Um, add to the conversation in that vein. And I'm just so excited to dig into this topic with um, our families. Welcome, thank you for joining us. I wanna get started right away. Uh, Dr. Corey um, and Stephanie, this topic is special to me because I think it's so important. Um, I'm a mom of three. It's so important that um, children are able to see us both strong and weak and that we're able to understand our children as, as both strong and weak and a range of things in between. Anxiety and depression is something that Often, you know, as time has gone by, um, anxiety is one of those words that we can kind of use as a buzzword. It, we can just use it flippantly. Oh, I'm just feeling, you know, anxiety. And then it can become clinical. Um, and that's the same thing with depression. It can be taken lightly to serious. And I just want to, um, for us to explore the range of this and, and really be able to help families identify the ranges, think about it on multiple levels from, from birth to, to children who are 18 years old and really um, um, lean into what it means to support children and families in this area. Thank you again, Keisha, for inviting me back once again to have a really important conversation with everyone tonight. Um, I have to say you all are in excellent hands. Um, myself, I am not only a psychologist, um, where I specialize specifically in how mass media affects us, our attitudes, our behavior. I'm also a certified mental health first aider. So really trained to look for those signs for when someone needs um, mental health professionals to intervene in their life. And then you have Stephanie as well, who's, who's here as a therapist. So um, I always like to come into these sessions, just letting the audience know we are not here tonight to diagnose anyone. We hope to give you uh, the signs, things to look for, observations, how to observe and to begin the conversation so that you know if you need to move to that next step and have a mental health professional intervene. We cannot nowadays, we just simply cannot talk about a mental health without talking about the intersection of racial justice, social justice. So I do in honor of the late George Floyd and the verdict that came out just a couple of hours ago, wanna just take a moment of silence to honor his life. The best way to dive into this conversation is just to start at sort of a granular level uh, with some definitions. So first of all, we're really gonna be looking at the, under the umbrella tonight of mental health. We're gonna talk specifically about anxiety and depression, but we kind of have to go big picture and then drill our way down. So when we talk about mental health, mental health is a state of well-being in which an individual realizes their own abilities, can cope with normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and contributes to their community. 
Now, at first glance, you're thinking, well, yeah, no, that's the case for adults, but what about kids? That's the beautiful thing about mental health. It doesn't have an age attached to it, right? We're really talking about what works um, when we talk about mental health for both adults and children. So this is our working definition of what is mental health. Now, as we move in a little bit more, we have to talk about well, what is a mental health challenge? Mental health challenge is when there is a major change in a person's thinking, feeling, or acting, right? The change interferes with the person's ability to live their life. Um, and then finally, the interference does not go away quickly. Um, it lasts longer than typical emotions, such as, you know, you were upset that someone took your toy. Uh, you know, this anger now has gone on for multiple weeks. We're, we're months of holding on to whatever that emotion or that reaction may have been. Lastly, we move into what we call, what is a mental disorder? Um, a mental disorder is a diagnosable disorder that affects a person's thinking, emotional state, and behavior. Um, you're talking about things that is gonna disrupt their ability to work, so school, carrying out their daily activities, and engaging in satisfying relationships. Okay, so this is where we're starting, right? So a lot of what we will discuss tonight is, you know, observing, looking for what, where they might, there might be mental health challenges, but then also the possibility that um, there is a mental disorder that is there as well. Um, so just again, to give some broader context, um, we are talking specifically about our kids tonight. And what research has shown us that is that children ages three to 17, um, they, they do experience a lot of anxiety, 4.4 million approximately um, experience anxiety, and then approximately 1.9 million children experience depression. Um, and as we get even more granular, we're talking about one in five children who experience some type of mental health challenge, right? So this is what we're talking about tonight, that this is a very real issue that many of our children have faced, are facing, or will face. Now, as Keisha asked, really, what is the difference, right? When we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about depression, what is the difference? And keep in mind, as we as adults sit in, sit in and lean into this conversation tonight, these are things that we can begin to take in and process for ourselves as well as our children. When we talk about anxiety, we're talking about being very afraid, for example, when our parents are away. So that's separation anxiety. Having extreme fear about a specific thing or situation, such as dogs, insects are going to the doctor, so phobias. Being afraid of school and other places where there are people, so social anxiety is an excellent example of this. Being worried about the future and about bad things happening, so just general anxiety. And then also having repeated episodes of sudden, unexpected, intense fear. This is going to be accompanied by, you know, heart pounding, having trouble breathing, dizziness, shakiness, sweating, so panic disorder, okay? So these are some common examples of, of anxiety. On the other hand, depression, so feeling sad, hopeless, or irritable a lot of the time, all right? Emphasis on time there, um, the time in which that is an experience. Um, not wanting to do or enjoy doing fun things. Um, showing changes in eating patterns, so eating a lot more or a lot less than usual. Showing changes in their sleep patterns, so sleeping a lot more or a lot less. 
showing changes in their energy. So being tired, sluggish all the time, restless a lot of the time, having a hard time paying attention. So now we're getting into, you know, some of the struggles that come along with, with school. Feeling worthless, useless, or guilty. All right, so these are all common examples. Finally, showing self-injury and self-destructive behavior. All right, so these are sort of the differences that you would see, um, things that you can look for, differences between anxiety and depression in your children. If you've been a part of some of my previous talks, you'll know that anything that we talk about in, on these calls is not just a singular talk. We're really focused on a series of talk, really creating this ongoing dialogue that you will have with your children. So conversations with your child about mental health normalizes mental health, right? It doesn't become this big sort of standalone moment when an instant or something happens, that, but we've already been talking about this since you were little. And so now it's part of our everyday dialogue. Um, there are multiple effective components in parent-child mental health communication. And so what does that look like? So it's all about the extent of communication. Time is such a big thing. So the frequency, how frequently are you having these conversations? How deep are you going when you have these conversations? Um, informational style. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we think about being sent to the principal's office, how jarring that can be, right? How that creates an anxiety within itself. But, you know, if we make talking about mental health, really just normalizing that, making that part of our, our ride to school, our ride to sports, you know, sitting around the dinner table, this normalizes talking about mental health. Um, the content of data that is discussed, so what you're bringing to the table, and we're going to get into some of those conversation starters in a moment, and, and pulling in real life examples, perhaps even examples of your own self, um, mental health challenges, um, and when and how the communication occurs, right? So we want to make sure that we're choosing a time that is safe, um, where there's rapport um, with the people that might be in the room. Those types of things are very important as well. And then the overall environment where the conversation takes place, where, you know, we're removing um, the criticism, um, some of the stigma, um, being just conscious of those environments that we have conversations about mental health. So the big question that I'm sure perhaps there might be one or two people that came tonight asking themselves is, could my child be experiencing a mental health challenge, right? So these are some things I want you to remember, even as you think about that question. It is normal for your child to be unpleasant from time to time, unpredictable, right? We're talking about adolescence. We're talking about, you know, going through puberty, all of those things. Oppositional, where they just push back. That's part of you developing your own identity as a person to sometimes disagree, even with your parents. You might recall that. Um, feeling sad, right? This is, again, big thing that we want to talk about tonight is just the myriad of emotions that we experience as human beings and normalizing those, those emotions and not sort of entering this space of emotional avoidance, right? Where we lean into what we feel and are able to identify what we feel. And then sometimes feeling mad, getting upset. These are all very normal emotions, right? That your children are gonna experience and, and you as well. Now, these are the things you wanna be asking yourself as we really think about 
or look through the lens of anxiety and, and depression. Ask yourself, is your child still learning? So as we think about school in particular, right? So we think about being online in this virtual hybrid remote um, season of our lives, you know, are they still learning? Are they having fun? Um, as they spend time with siblings, cousins, friends, are, have you noticed any type of shift in, them, in their ability to have fun? Friends, do they still have friends? Are there people in their lives? Do they have a support system outside of that sort of immediate family? Because again, we have to think about the social interaction piece that is part of our human need to belong and connect with other people. Um, do their teachers feel they are fitting in? And then finally, are you sleeping at night, right? So thinking about the, the big picture of how family dynamic affects, you know, each person that is in that family, are you sleeping at night? Is your, your spouse sleeping at night? Is there just this ongoing concern for your child's mental health? So these are the things that you want to think about in asking yourself, could your child be experiencing a mental health challenge? Another thing that I'm sure people came with is you need some arsenal, some tools, right? You wanna leave this talk tonight, being able to make observations and being able to you know, usher your child into better mental health, right? So one of the things that you need to think about is you know, if they don't seem to be hanging out or talking to their friends as much as usual, right? That's one of the first things um, you can observe, um, that their schoolwork seems to be suffering. Okay, this may be indicated by the obvious the grades are, are dropping, assignments are not getting done, uh, general lack of interest in really any subject at school, um, and offer extra help if it's simply trouble with the subject matter, right? Getting a tutor, that type of thing. Um, their mood seems to be darkened, right? So they're talking about death or dying, or maybe you've come across some evidence of them researching death. Um, these are things that you want to be on the lookout for, um, particularly when you think about, okay, what are some of the signs that I need to be aware of? Um, additional conversation starters, right? Based in fact, right? So do some research online. Health organizations like the CDC, for example, Mental Health of America is one of the resources that I'm going to share out with you all in a little bit. But try to have some arsenal that aligns with some of the observations that you're making, right? So that can sort of guide the conversation. Um, maybe you have a mental health challenge um, yourself and you recognize some of the symptoms, even if it's something you no longer deal with but you ha have dealt with, or that you recall from childhood, a particular moment in time where you like, you know what, I remember when I was feeling that way or experiencing that way. Um, perhaps you have a family member or friend that has struggled, right? And there is some rapport where you might feel comfortable with your child talking about, talking to that family member about their experience. Um, and be sure to keep the tone of the conversation hopeful and remind your child that these uh, challenges, these, dis these disorders are common and treatable. If you've been to some of the other previous Tough Talks, I always emphasize, you know, really listening, not sort of going in with this set agenda when you have these tough talks, these conversations, but being open and having open-ended conversations with your children about their experience. Um, ask if they've thought about what they need to get better, 
right? I think again, as parents, parents, guardians, mentors, we've lived, you know, we've had some experiences perhaps with mental health challenges, but you always want to start with where is your child? Where is their headspace around what they might be dealing with at that particular time? Learn, be willing, be open to learning that some of the, you know, things that our kids are dealing with right now, cyberbullying, I think is a perfect example um, that can lead to anxiety, depression. You know, learn about what that looks like for your child. You know, enter that space where you put yourself in their shoes. Um, make sure to keep things confidential, right? Unless it's life-threatening. Um, because what you want to do is you want to, as you think about the talks, the series of talks and it not being a singular conversation, you want to make sure you've created a safe space and there's a rapport so that your child feels like they can trust you with what they might be experiencing. Normalize, normalize, normalize. We talked about this earlier that, you know, we, we, we are moving away from the stigma that, you know, having a mental health challenge or a mental health disorder is a life sentence, right? We know that so many things are, can be treated with the right interventions in place. Acknowledge your fear. You know, um, I think it's really important as we think about showing our kids how to deal with mental health and mental health challenges is to let them see how we navigate our own emotions, right? So acknowledging your fear. Um, offer an impartial counselor, right? So someone who's not, again, gonna be overly judgmental or critical about where they are. And then prepare to be an advocate, right? Again, that research piece, knowing you know the, the bullet points, you don't have to have written a dissertation around what it is that they might be experiencing, but you do wanna be able to advocate for your child and that starts with teaching and, and learning. All right, now some don'ts, right? Minimize, I've talked about this before. You, you wanna not dismiss because it makes you uncomfortable. You don't wanna minimize because you feel like, oh, I don't know all the answers right now. You can very well take a step back and say, you know what, I wanna research that a little bit. Can we talk about that a little bit later, right? But we wanna really move away from minimizing and dismissing what it is they might wanna be talking to you about experiencing. Um, don't let your emotions rule your response, right? So completely common for you to feel perhaps some anxiety of your own, a state of panic. If even tonight, we've been talking about a lot of things you can look for, maybe some things are coming up for, for you, things that you've witnessed that you've been experiencing about your child, but you really want to kind of take a step back, take a deep breath before you enter the space to talk about mental health and mental health challenges. Don't use the word crazy. Right, we've, we've used that word enough. We've sort of normalized crazy um, and we really won't want to use other words that will be more supportive um, of where they may be at that particular time. Don't tell your child what they should do, okay? Instead, ask them, you know, how can you help them? What do they need help with, right? So again, taking that agenda off the table. Don't argue, right? Again, going back to um, some of the do's where you come into this space listening, um, you really don't want to enter this space of, you know, I wish you were more like your brother. You're never going to get it right, that type of thing. Um, make excuses or blame others. You know, well, if the school did their part, you know, or if they paid you more attention, you really don't want to move into the excuses and the blaming and instead take that family accountability, right? That close circle, that village accountability. 
Um, and again, comparing your child to the siblings who may not have had some of the mental health challenges and experiences that this particular child has had. So one other thing I wanted to bring out that often comes up is what if it's not your child? So perhaps you're on the call tonight and you're a teacher or you're an aunt that has made some observations. What does that conversation sort of need to look like? Ask the child if they have told their parents or guardian yet about what they're experiencing, right? So again, starting at that sort of grassroots level, um, offer to help them start a conversation with their parents if they would like. So just asking for permission, right, to enter that space. And then explain that you can provide advice and information, but only a parent or guardian can get them the, the specific help that they need, such as visiting a doctor or a mental health profession, professional, right? So you're opening, you're opening that door of support, right? You're showing concern, but you also are acknowledging and including the parent or guardian as you all move forward. So I know for a lot of folks, some things have probably come up tonight where you, you even came to this session tonight, having already made some of the observations we discussed. So um, Mental Health America, which uh, their abbreviation MHA, um, they have a website, a, a web address, mhascreening.org that you can go Second to. And they have what they call a parent test, where you can use that to determine if your child's emotions, attention, or behaviors might be signs of a problem, right? So it sort of creates that screener that you might need if you're still kind of on the fence. And then of course, if you're one of those people who are sort of looking and you suspect some type of neglect, there's some type of dynamic that you think might be attributing to the child experiencing anxiety or depression, um, then I wanna encourage you to um, call the Child Health National Abuse Hotline um, and you can get guidance from a trained volunteer about next steps you should take. Dr. Corey, something that came up for me while you were speaking just now, as a parent, you know, how, how transparent, and, and I think that, um, Stephanie, you could lean into this as well as a marriage and family therapist. I know you meet families a lot of times in, in the midst of whatever it is that they're going through, but as a parent, how transparent can you be with your children about your own mental health challenges um, or the mental health challenges of other adults in the household, you know, extended relatives, like how transparent should we be? And, and if you could speak to that, regarding the different age levels so like you know when we have like our we have our young learners that zero to five group up into middle school and high school i think it's always good to be vulnerable as a parent um it normalizes it for our children and shows them that you know it's normal to have these emotions and to not always get things right or not always to feel perfect and with your own struggles, yes, you need to be developmentally appropriate with your kids. Um, so you can say is like the little ones, you know, sometimes I'm really sad too. I feel that way too. And as they're older, I mean, depending like teenagers, you could probably go a little more in depth and be like, yes, I struggled with that when I was your age also. Um, so I, you know, being open and vulnerable and a little bit transparent. Now, when it comes to other family members, 
you don't want to out them on anything that they aren't willing to share. So um, you might want to go to them first and ask if you're they're willing to share their story before saying anything. Um, Dr. Corey, anything you would like to add? You, you took it away. I was just going to give sort of a, a media example. So as we've talked about in other workshops, um, and we, I will always try to incorporate how media can help in these conversations, but I think Inside Out is a great movie for children and adults to watch because when we think about mental health and we, we talk about anxiety and depression, really we're talking about identifying emotions. Like at the root of this all, and as, as Stephanie said, is normalizing what we, what we feel and being able to have conversations about what we feel. So I think Inside Out is such a great media example, no matter how old you are, to sort of see what does this look like and what really are our emotions doing in our lives? What role do they play and how do we navigate those? Thank you, thank you both. Um, and I'm, I value mental health awareness and I value making sure that we have a strong understanding of mental health in our society and our families and everywhere. And, um, and, and this is something that I'm, I'm gonna ask about like the when, right? Like ideally our children, we, we go get annual physicals. I do believe it is absolutely necessary that we also have annual mental health wellness checks. Um, that would be so um, beautiful to see our society move in that direction. But as a parent, when we're trying to discern, you know, you talked about like just mental health as, as you know, by definition and then mental health um, challenges and then mental health disorders. How do we know as parents when it's time to talk, when it's time to get someone else involved, when it's time to take things to the next steps? Can you talk through that? So the best thing to do is start young and start talking about our emotions helping them identify what they're feeling. So when you have a two-year-old throwing a tantrum because you gave them the wrong snack, whatever, you can be like, oh, I see you're very frustrated right now. That makes you angry. And helping them learn what they're feeling. So developmentally, we're starting small and young, identifying what we're feeling. And then as we get older, they're gonna be able to identify and tell us what they're feeling. Um, but, you know, not all of us have started that way. I know I didn't because I didn't know all this stuff when my kids were really tiny. Um, so now we do check-ins. Um, and like Dr. Corey said, looking, having those like observations of when you might need to have a more in-depth conversation um, and letting it be on their terms, giving them choices. Um, because I, at least I know my own teenager, he's not an open book. I'm sure a lot of kids are like that. Um, so saying like, you know, I see your grades are slipping a bit. Um, I'd like to have a talk with you about that. When would be good for that? Because nobody likes to be like bulldozed with a conversation they're not ready to have. <laughs> um, so I think that's a great approach. Um, I'm thinking Dr. Corey probably has some more stuff he can add to that. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I will, again, going back to the, the media examples, TikTok has given me such a way into the lives of teenagers during this pandemic. And a lot of the videos that I've seen created, they talk about the stress that they experience as it relates to online learning, 
expectations of their parents and they feel as though the only conversation that their parents are having with them is what's going on with your grades you know why why have your grades slipped but it seems like what's missing is stephanie pointing out is why are they like what's going on with you why are your grades slipping can you talk to me about what is it is it just you know online learning doesn't it doesn't gel with you you know how can i support you in in a particular subject you know, getting granular as to what they need. And then also just creating that safe space that, you know, if you're having an off day or, you know, this, this moment in time right now where you wish you were at school and you're not, like, let's just talk about that, right? So once we've created that safety, then we can get into sort of next steps of what you need so that we can move you through or beyond where you are right now. That is so helpful. Thank you both. Um, and I just want to pause right here for a second because like Stephanie, your title, marriage and family therapist, um, for some families that might be that this might be the first time that they're hearing about that specific nature of work. Um, we talk about guidance counselors and a psychiatrist and psychologists. So could you just talk to us a little bit about the scope of your work and what type of support you give to families? Sure. Um, a marriage and family therapist is kind of a misnomer. We don't just see married couples and families. We see everyone, either individual, young kids. We can see the whole family. We can see married people. We can see just partners, um, you know, anyone that wants some help with their uh, mental health. But the way we look at things is systematic. So we're looking at relationships, not so if an individual comes in to see us, we're also looking at, well, how's your relationship with your mom and dad affecting you or your partner or your bigger family, your workspace, the culture that you live in, the world we live in. So all of that affects us and how we handle things. So that's what, um, maybe a little bit different than other um, types of mental health workers do and think. And I want to dig into that part of just like continuing the support conversation and this time from like a parent lens. So we have a child in our home and if, if we are a parent and we're, we're noticing we've had the talk, they, they are feeling depressed or they're feeling anxious or they have anxiety. What, what kind of things can we do like, you know, there might be a waiting period before we get to talk to a therapist. It might take us a while to read the books that are available to us. Um, conversations like this in, on our platform didn't exist until 2020. The resources aren't always readily available that night that you need them at home. So what can you do? Like, what are some tools, some, some conversations, some things that we can do as parents immediately to address the anxiety and depression that might be occurring in our children? This actually is, is connected to a question that came up in the chat too, which was what are some techniques I can use to minimize anxiety in my child? I notice anxiety uh, arises during test taking. And so one of my things that um, for the past seven, eight years here in Los Angeles, I've worked in uh, youth development leadership and we work with At Promise Youth, um, mostly black and brown boys, fourth, fifth grade. And so we've seen so much of a lot of the things that, we, that we're talking about. And so one of the things that has been a game changer for us, and I think it can be a game changer in your homes as well, is introducing meditation. Even the teachers have said to us, 
since you guys came in and started showing the guys how to deal with their emotions, identify their emotions, and weekly meditation, so much of that angst, you know, that that anxiety, that that stress, whether it be around tests, with you know, managing, navigating relationships with one another, they've seen subsided. Um, I, I think there was some research that maybe came out last year specifically. Um, you might know historically a lot of Black boys um, get diagnosed with ADHD a lot. And so they're, they've been integrating meditation into their lives more. And they've seen that really that was a misdiagnosis, that really this was about training and teaching them another way to deal with emotions. So that's that's my piece. I'm sure Stephanie probably has some advice too. Yeah, I also wanted to piggyback off um, a lot of Black American boys are misdiagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, and they're really not. And that's unfortunate because sometimes, you know, the system doesn't work for us at times. But there are great tools that you can use right away at home if your kid is feeling anxious. So like Dr. Corey said, meditations. So you can just go on Pinterest and find guided meditations and you can read the script to your child and they'll just get them in a quiet room on a couch, a bed, and let them relax. And you read the um, meditation in a nice soft voice. Um, I use these imagine cards with my clients a lot. And they're a bunch of um, scripted meditations that work really great for kids. And I also use these yoga pretzels. Um, so getting in touch with our body and our breath, and that helps ease anxiety. And those are some of my favorite things to use. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say too, that that's great. I love those Imagine cards. Um, I would say when it comes to anxiety in particular, um, you really want to think about a holistic approach. So we've talked about meditation, for example, but it's, it's everything from meditation to getting a good night's rest to exercise to what you're eating to, you know, when it comes specifically to test taking, like how much are you studying? Um, you know, the environment that you're studying in as you prepare for a test. So it, it, I would say there is no one size sort of intervention when you think about anxiety. That is so helpful. And um, we'll make sure that we have those resources listed, the Imagine Cards and the Yoga Pretzels. That's really helpful. Um, and also, um, Stephanie, you touched on this, that you said that you wish that you knew these things when you were parenting young children. Um, parenting is a constant work of forgiveness as well. Um, what do we do? And this is a question I ask most tough talks. What do we do when we've gotten it wrong? When we've, we've spent their toddler years going, oh, this, don't cry. There's nothing to be sad about. Look at, you know, we, or we've dismissed emotions and now we're here in middle school and high school and we've set the foundation, maybe not so great. What do we do as parents when we may, when we have that actualization, you know what, maybe I didn't get this right. And I need to go back to the drawing board to handle these things. So how can we play, I guess, play catch up with our work with our children? Besides calling you, Stephanie, immediately, <laughs> you know, like, what can we do at home? <laughs> well, it's never too late to start. Never too late. So just start, you know, recognizing their emotion and their feelings and their thoughts and 
validating. Validating is important. And I think people don't understand what validation is sometimes. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It does not mean you have to agree. But instead you can say, I can see why you'd feel that way. Um, And that, just having someone say that back to you, it makes you feel seen and heard. And so I think that is like, you know, pro tip number one, validation. I agree. Yeah, the the the, aff- the affirmation, um, valuing of another person's experience, um, validating their emotions, all of that, one thousand percent agree. Um, and speaking of like the next steps, like so you're you're doing the right things as a parent, you're following the resources, and now it's time to perhaps pick out a therapist if that is the next step for your family. Um, is there first of all, is there ever a time when therapy is the wrong thing to do? Is there ever a situation where you wouldn't recommend reaching out to a therapist or a psychologist to help with your family? The only time reaching to a therapist would not be the first step is if there's active um, high risk concerns um, where they might need to be um, seen inpatient somewhere. Um, So if they're suicidal, want to self-harm or hurt others, that is the Number one time, call the ER, call 911. Um, But otherwise, you know, reaching out to a therapist is never going to hurt. I agree. And I would say, I thought about this earlier too, is that if you have concerns about your child going to a therapist, and perhaps you've never been to one, why don't you be the one to take that plunge first? And it doesn't have to be a life sentence. You don't have, your world doesn't have to be completely turned upside down for you to go, but maybe just to go and be a part and sit in, you know, a couple of sessions to see, okay, what does this look like? What does it feel like? And then perhaps you'll do a couple of sessions with your child and then release them to be, you know, one-on-one with that therapist. So it's just a consideration. Thank you. And in choosing a therapist and choosing the right therapist for your family, um, what can parents look to as far as like how to make that decision properly? This this was a very important relationship. Um, so how what kind of tools or um, or uh, or markers should a family look for in order to identify a therapist that is a great match for their child? I, I will say this, and I know Stephanie has a much broader uh, response to me, but I would say that you know um someone who is culturally aligned to you is really important um i think that as we deal with as i shared at the top of the day the intersection of mental health and racial justice and social justice and some of the things that are happening right now that it is important to have someone who can identify with your experiences but to stephanie's point before you know really what you're trying to get after i feel like is someone who not only specializes in that area um but also can can validate your your experience yes i agree with dr corey about um someone you feel comfortable with culturally socially with your own maybe you want someone with your own ethnic background and that's important um And I think sometimes that gets kind of brushed under the rug. Um, But the number one thing is that you have a good relationship with the therapist. So you might find a therapist through word of mouth. You might know like, oh, my friend Joe saw this person and recommends them. And so you might want to go to them. Um, But also something that's not talked about a lot is 
if you don't like your therapist, you don't have to stay. You can find someone else. We're all different. We all use our personalities in the room. And so finding a match is really important. And a lot of therapists offer 15 minute phone conversations um, just for free. So you can get to know them and see if it's a good match. Um, If you're dealing with little kids, you might want to find a play therapist. Um, Plays good for adults too. Um, But a lot of times, you know, regular talk therapy isn't going to work for a five-year-old. So play is fun and it works. And I'll, I'll say too, and um, as, as you're experiencing this, this workshop tonight, that a lot of therapists, particularly in this pandemic era, are doing um, you know, one-on-one therapy via Zoom, you know, Google Meet, those types of things. So don't let sort of the restrictions of the time be a barrier for you to begin therapy sessions. And as tonight's Tough Talk is about anxiety and depression, I also want to um, help support families in that level of discernment. Um, all of us who've um, had the pleasure to spend time with young children um, know that things go from fear to anxiety. Like it can be confusing, you know. So how, you know, how can we um, use our discernment to decide when it's fear, when it's anxiety? Um, you know, I'm scared to go. To, I'm scared of the dark versus like a real heightened awareness of the darkness and that something bad could really happen and my heart is pounding. Like where where is the gray area and where is it black and white? And also with um, depression for family, you know, because we're as parents, we're always trying to discern things and suss things out. Um, is my child sad? It is appropriate to feel sad sometimes. Um, Dr. Corey, you did, you did a wonderful job of um, depression like what it actually means but i just want to make sure that families feel like they can address the nuances that are in there and both sadness versus depression fear versus anxiety that are natural and atypical at the same time yeah and i'll say i think stephanie again can probably answer this so much more better than i can but i will say that as a mental health first aider we are really trained to think about the periods of time in which a person might be dealing with anxiety or depression. So doesn't mean that, you know, there might not be multiple instances uh, that you're seeing or that you're observing, but you're really talking about, okay, now we're getting in the weeks, um, we're getting into the months of this observed behavior and it's not changing no matter, you know, what conversation we have, you know, we, as I'm encouraging you, there just doesn't seem to be a shift. And so I think that the frequency and the time intervals in which you're seeing certain behaviors be displayed. I agree with Dr. Corey on that. Um, the time span is a big marker. Um, and even if you think, well, maybe it hasn't been long enough that I need to be concerned, um, you know, still talk, still talk. Um, and it's not going to hurt to see a therapist in either of those stages. Um, We don't want it to get to full blown, you know, major depressive disorder. So it's okay to like use some prevention and get into a therapist. And I want to call out too. I know I mentioned the the reference earlier of just TikTok and sort of the self reports that a lot of adolescents and teens are seeing their 
virtual experiences right now with school. But I really want to encourage you that it's not too late to start a routine, right? Going back to what we talked about earlier, like, man, I've, I've been doing it this way for so long. I don't know if like changing up now is really going to do much. It, it can make a difference. It may not be overnight, but starting with some type of routine, some type of change in the way in which you're doing life, that's where you're going to start to see a difference. Um, and for parents out there who might be in this conversation and they might feel worried, like now that they've, you know, they've seen the presentation, they're like, I remember this, like maybe, maybe this is what I'm dealing with at home. Can you both um, describe a mentally well child, a child who is, is thriving, a child who is, you know, um, having a, a healthy state of mind for, for parents out there? What does that look like? Children that can communicate and articulate how they're feeling, even if it's not a positive emotion, you know, it, to just be able to identify that I'm feeling really sad today. And they might not always be able to explain to you what that sadness is about, but, they, but the first step of just being able to call it out, I think is so huge. And I think you being a model for that is also really good. Um, I think Brene Brown, for anyone who's familiar with her, um, her research is all about vulnerability. And she talks about how she and her husband have this thing where they will say to each other, you know, I'm, I'm at a 30% today. Like, that's all I got in me. He might say, okay, I get that. But honestly, I'm only at about a 50 or 60. Just being able to, to put and a name and, 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 and uh, identify or address where they are helps everybody negotiate their way through that relationship for that particular day, right? So I think if we can kind of role model, we're comprehensive role models for our children. If you can model identifying your emotions and they start to do that, you, you're well off. I feel like you're well on your way. 100% agree. Um... Yeah. And, you know, a mentally well child feels all the emotions and being able to communicate them, you know, when your kid throws a tantrum, that's normal <laughs> unless they're, you know, 20 or something, but we want to look at what's age appropriate and, you know, that's normal. Like if a kid feels sad and cries, it's normal. Um, it's when they cry for days on end or like, Dr. Corey said, it's the time frame. So also, yeah, being able to recognize and name our emotions. Um, and if any parents are curious on some techniques, the whole brain child by Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson is a really great, um, book and guide for you to learn how to start talking about these things too. Um, I'll say Keisha too, another great question just came up in the chat and I would love to hear Stephanie's response to this too is, should I give my child a choice of whether or not he or she should attend counseling? I see a need or he or she does not. And so I go back to my original statement of entering that space as a family. You know, if that's, if that's something that your child is a little bit resistant on, but they see you're willing to do, the beautiful thing about a really great therapist is that once they get you in that space, they'll be able to invite the child in in a way that they hadn't considered before. I agree with you, Dr. Corey. We don't want to push anyone before they're ready. Um, so I think, you know, coming as a family or coming as like 
a parent-child dyad. Either of those would be a way to normalize it and say, hey, look, we're all going to do it. We can all use this. Um, and it's, I know like maybe it depends on the age of the child too. Um, also, the age of consent is different in different states. Um, so you'll want to take that into consideration also. Yeah, and I think another uh, piece to that too is that, you know, some therapists will do sort of role play, role play activities where the child and parent can swap and have an exchange coming from sort of a perception of, of how things are. And I think that that coming in together um, can sort of ease you into therapy in a way that just sending the child off sometimes on their own doesn't you know, go over so well at the beginning. My final question this evening is um, what's at stake here? Like we, we, you know, we want to get this right. You know, what happens when we neglect these areas, when we are not having these talks with our children about anxiety and depression, we just skirt through. Um, it's, uh, it's very much easier to ignore a lot of things in life, especially that we have to handle hand on, especially if we don't have the tools and resources. We know that we're advocates for these conversations, but can we um, just have uh, not, not to be like macabre or anything, but just like what what happens when we don't get it right and we ignore this? I don't know if we can just call it you know, like not getting it right because we're all learning and we're all becoming who we need to be. Um, so we don't want to let it go untreated because it's just going to cause bigger problems later on in life. Um, and it could be move from a challenge to a disorder, like um, Dr. Corey showed us in his presentation. Um, and there's little things that we can do as parents, like just practice our deep breathing, finding little coping skills that might help. Um, and even like if a child is resistant, um, reminding them that they're going to have a safe space in therapy to talk about whatever they need, because there's confidentiality, <laughs> even with children, um, unless, you know, someone's getting hurt. So I think that kids will find that therapy is pretty cool and that they love it. Um, if we give them a chance to be there too. Yeah. And I would say there was a quote I po posted, I think last year sometime that, um, as adults, when we sort of look back in retrospect, um, our parents were figuring it out. As they were raising us, they were just figuring it out. And I think we have an opportunity to show them what figuring it out looks like, right? Figuring it out doesn't mean avoiding. Figuring it out doesn't mean neglecting. It means identifying the way I feel and then working through that. And it might be, be collectively bringing in a therapist, you know, uh, support system, what have you. But we, we get that opportunity. I think we, we have such a unique opportunity to really show our kids how to identify and navigate their emotions as opposed to becoming an adult, never seeing any example of it. And now I'm just sort of out here probably sabotaging a lot of my relationships. Thank you. And as um, as a token of inspiration, um, in your experience, you've, you've guided families and people through um, challenging relationships. And as it pertains to this, can you talk about a win? Um, can you talk about a time where these tools were placed in practice and we, we saw some children have brighter days and we saw some real um, beautiful evidence of uh, change that therapy has aided in or any of these tools on a parent level have aided in? 
again, um, working in the mentoring space, uh, we've had so many opportunities over the years where, you know, they leave us in fifth grade, they go off to middle school, high school, and they come back and they talk about how they integrated a lot of the practice. It might be meditation, uh, but they've integrated that into their life. And they talk about their work times were bullying or, you know, an altercation, um, you know, went down at school and they were able to, you know, step back, take a moment. So I think never undermine or underestimate what just those little instances of, again, creating a dialogue, showing them how you navigate your emotions, being honest about what you're feeling, listening to them instead of going in with this agenda, how all of that is part of just sort of the long-term impact that it can have on a person's life. So yes, to answer your question, I've absolutely seen things that we've talked about tonight work and, and still continue to work in the lives of a lot of the young people I work with. That's awesome. I just want to add to that, that change can be slow and you're not going to see like, oh, I had one conversation where I validated my kids' feelings. Look at him. He's so happy now. That won't happen. I mean, if it happens, yay, but I don't think it will. Um, so a reminder that change is slow. Stick with these things. We do know they work. Um, there is you know, research on this. If you want to look it up, you can research Google Scholar. That's free. You can look up stuff. Um, and, you know, yeah, stick with it. It'll come. Thank you. And thank you both. This has been a beautiful conversation. I hope parents out there what, that you're watching that you gain some tools and insight. Um, we definitely will email you um, the resources that are listed here and the presentation that Dr. Corey um, provided early on in this uh, conversation. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you, Dr. Corey. We look forward to seeing you back next month, Dr. Corey, for a conversation on finance and budgeting, how to talk to your kids about money. Um, so we welcome you back next month for that. And parents out there, there's still time to register for that on our website, explorekids.us. Um, and also um, I'm gonna close and just let you know that we actually have a really um, beautiful project coming up. May 8th, we're hosting a STEAM Saturday and it's called the $5 Project. And we are mailing a $5 bill to registrants. So register now. And we have one simple mission. We're gonna use those $5 to make a change a beautiful positive change in someone's life. Um, so children have to pay it forward and think about ways, innovative ways to use that $5 to make a positive change in their community. We are explorers for a reason. We believe that everyone in this planet belongs here and we're excited to support our families. It takes a village for sure. Um, and we, we want to be that village for all of our families. Um, thank you both again. This has been, like I said, an awesome conversation. You can find this conversation permanently on our website. Again, that's explorekids.us. Stephanie, Dr. Corey, have a beautiful evening. I look forward to seeing you guys again. And this has been another Tough Talk Tuesday with your World Explorers family. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. 
But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out one day at a time together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore. Thank you.